Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Fathers, we come together this morning as believers. We just praise you that you are the Lord of peace. That we have peace in our lives, peace in our heart. And as we witness a world that is at war, in strife, we just pray, Lord, for other people that do not know your peace, that they may have peace, that they may embrace the gospel, which is freely given to us. I pray as we open up your word this morning, that you might open up our hearts and minds to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. When I opened up our study of Romans 9, I mentioned that you could preach Romans 9 in three different ways. One, we could approach it by looking at the rejection of Israel, that Israel rejected Christ. I said that you could study it regarding the topic of predestination, that is that God chooses who will be in his kingdom. And then lastly, I said that you could preach it by proving the theodicy of God. In other words, justifying God's actions in an evil world as God operates in an evil world. All three would be appropriate. In fact, we will touch on all three topics as we go through our study. And I would also like to remind you that as Paul has written the Church of Rome, chapters 1 through 8, he outlines mankind's desperate need for a Savior, that man can't merit his way to approach a holy and righteous God. In chapter 8, He gives us a great chapter in the fact that God chooses. And as we go into chapter 9, he is anticipating the negative response that he might receive for not only the whole letter, but especially for chapter 8. And that negative response that he is anticipating is, what about the Jews? What about the Jews? Because the Jews had rejected Christ, but in chapter 9, as he opens the chapter, he reminds us that the Jews had a special relationship with God. And when you look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, he outlines that special relationship. He writes, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying by conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, 
to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. There in those verses, he outlines the special relationship that the Israelites had that no other people received. As he outlined those in the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. And he goes on for the remainder of chapter 9, and he points out why the rejection of Christ by the Hebrews was within God's will. And as he answers that, he poses, as John Stott said in his commentary on Romans, three questions. And then he answers each question. And the first question that we're going to look at this morning is, has God's promise failed? Has God's promise failed? And of course, what Stott is referring to is, is all of the promises that God made to the Hebrews, going all the way back to the establishment of the nation with Abraham. After all, as we think about people who might pose this question, what about the Jews? If we could prove that God did not deliver on all of his promises, it would give mankind some bargaining power. Man could dictate the terms and conditions of his salvation. You see it in our modern time as well. I remember I used to be posed the question as a young preacher, what about the American Indian? What about the indigenous people all around the world who might not hear the word of God? And what those questions really boil down to is is trying to find some way to give mankind an exception. To give mankind some bargaining power where you can stand in front of a holy, righteous God and find some way out other than to submit your life to Christ. And I would submit to you that that's what Paul is anticipating when he's answering this question. What about the Jews? What about the Jews? Has God's promises failed? And you'll see him pose this question in verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Now, he answers this, first of all, in a general statement. And then he gives us some specific examples. And if you look at verses 6 through 8, he's going to answer this first generally. 
He writes, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. I've mentioned many times as I've preached that you find a lot of examples of two different groups or lines in the Bible. For example, there's sheep and there's goats. There's wheat and there's tares. There's the lost and there's the saved. And here is, a, as Paul answers this question first generally, you see two different groups. Look back at verse 8. Children of the flesh and children of God. Children of the flesh and children of God. Now, as we think about his question that he's posing regarding the Hebrews, what he's saying is, is that there is a physical Israel and there is a spiritual Israel. Children of the flesh, children of God. The physical Israel is any person who is in the physical lineage or ancestry of Abraham. Look back at our verse again. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. In Isaac your seed shall be called, that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. And when you think about in Scripture, the mistake that the Hebrews made was to rely too much on their ancestry or their heritage. And they did this all the way through New Testament time. And a great example of this is found in John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, 31. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to those group of verses. John 8, 31. We'll be reading through 33. It says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, there's another group listening in. Because he said it to those who believed him. But there's another group that said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, you will be made free. In other words, they were looking at Christ and they said, I don't have anything to answer for. Because after all, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. I don't have to answer for anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to worry about how I'm living my life because my life is justified by me being a Jew. In my last sermon, I pointed out that we have a similar problem here in this country. 
Because we have a lot of younger people who say, I have standing. I have standing before a holy and righteous God because, after all, grandma and grandpa went to church. Mom and dad went to church. And it's okay if I don't go to church. It's okay that I don't walk with the Lord because I am going to claim my spiritual heritage of my forefathers. And that's why we have a problem in this country now. That's why as we look around, we don't have a lot of young people in this church. And it's just not this church's problem. It is a nationwide problem. The church is getting gray. And if you think about this, if you think about the problem of the church getting gray, if every couple has two children, you're at replacement, right? You're just replacing yourself. You're not adding to the population. And if you think about that, if you go back to when our churches were full, if everybody had two or three kids and then those kids were serious about their faith, we should have a good representation of different ages in the church. But what's happened is, is as our society has gone into moral decay, you have the one or two or three or four or five kids from two believing parents not participate in worship. And of that group, what would you say in front of a holy and righteous God they would claim their spiritual heritage? Or they would say, well, I I went through baptism, or I went through confirmation, or I did this, but there's no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in their present life. There's no difference with that than a legalistic Jew saying, I'm of Abraham. I'm okay. I'm of Abraham. We're in the exact same spot. I remember a friend of mine was taking his son to a hospital. They were having a medical issue. And they were in the hospital. They were filling out the form. You know how you fill out all your name, your address. Then you get to that point to where you have to say, what's your faith? What's your faith? And the kid picked none. And the dad said, really? None? And he said, well, what should I pick? Because I'm nothing. That is a serious problem. And so you have people now that are either just denying their faith, walking away from their faith when they've grown up in a Christian household, or they're just apathetic. Faith isn't part of their life. No difference than the Hebrew who said, it's okay, I'm of Abraham. The Jews deceived themselves by claiming their ancestry as their justification before God. 
That's the general answer. As Paul brings up this idea that the word of God has failed, he said there's two Israels. One is those who really have a spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are just people who have a physical lineage. Just as Jesus said that there would come a day where at the end of times, many would stand before him and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There are people that will claim their lineage, claim their works, but they don't know God. And this is the same thing that Paul is bringing out with the Hebrews. There are some Hebrews, as you think about the Hall of Faith chapter in the book of Hebrews, there are some Hebrews that knew him. But on the whole, the majority of the Hebrews rejected everything about God. They were exposed to all of the promises. But to only those spiritual Hebrews that find themselves having life. That's the general answer. Now let's look at the specific. Verse 9. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Now let me emphasize a phrase here. The word of promise. The word of promise. Remember the story? God told Abraham and Sarah that they would bear a son. And they were so old that Sarah thought it was funny and she laughed. That it was impossible. And if you remember the story, they decided that they would help God out. And Abraham fathered a son through their handmaiden, Hagar. His name was Ishmael. But there's a problem with that story. Ishmael wasn't the word of promise because the word of promise said, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. In other words, the promise came through Sarah. Two sons, one promise. Two sons, one promise. God said, the other son's irrelevant. In fact, Abraham would go on and have other sons. It's a one son. And this is the way that it is going to be. And I love Reformed theology because it makes sense of life. Reformed theology and my life experience, those line up together. But the one thing about Reformed theology, if you're going to believe the doctrine found in Reformed theology, you can't go past this idea until you embrace this idea that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign, God is the creator, and God creates the rules. And when He creates the rules, He gets to do things. Since He is the creator, I'm the created, He gets to set the rules. And in the rules, He looked at Abraham, and he said, you and Sarah will have a child. That's the rule. That's the rule. They tried to help God out. 
And God said, nope. That's not the promise. The promise is with Abraham and Sarah. God chose. God chose. Did the physical Hebrew nation reject him? The vast majority did. But there was a spiritual lineage that received the promises, some physical, all spiritual. Because it was according to how God the Creator wanted it to be. Now the argument here is, is well, hey, that's easy. That's easy because there's two different moms. There's two different moms, right? There's Hagar and there's Sarah. So that's not a good example. Paul anticipates this. And he gives another specific example. Look at verse 10. And not only this. I love that. Because you've got to join those two together. And not only this. Because he knows what's coming up. But when Rebekah had also conceived by one man. Okay, so he eliminates the argument. But when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated." One man, one woman, one man, one woman, having twins, not different births, having twins, not having the chance of favoritism, right? Not having the chance of favoritism, not having the chance of merit. But what did it say in verse 11? For the children not yet being born, nor having done good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of Him who calls. No merit involved in that. God picked. God picked. Did the word fail? Absolutely not. There is a physical Israel and there is a spiritual Israel. And the spiritual Israel is due to God's choosing. Why? The purposes of God. Look back at 11. The purpose of God. The purpose of God. Let me remind you in the verses that we already studied in Romans 8 that pertain to us as believers, us Gentile believers. In Romans 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to what? To His purpose. To His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. It is according to His purpose. The salvation of the Hebrews, 
Those who would be saved, those who we would find in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith chapter. Those were the people that God said, these are the people that will be saved, that will be in heaven, who looked for longingly for a Messiah. These are the people that are in the Hall of Faith. And he picked them according to his purpose, his will. Just as we are here today, not by works of righteousness, not by merit, not by logic. We have no standing before a holy and righteous God except for one reason and one reason only, and that's the blood of Christ that was given to us specifically. Specifically. Just as it said that before the beginning of time, our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. He picked us just as he picked those Hebrew people that would come to a saving knowledge. Did his word fail? Absolutely not. I remember one time somebody said, Preacher, when do you think Jesus Christ will come back? When do you think the time is? Do you think it's soon? Do you think it's a decade from now? Do you think it's a century from now? And I said, well, I know when Christ will come. And they looked at me kind of with a puzzled look. And I said, Christ will come when the last person whose name was written in the Lamb's book of life confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. That's it. Now, I don't know when that is. And you don't either. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. But I do know this. If you are a saved person today, you are not here because of your works You're not here because of your decision. You're not here because your family lineage, even though you may have grown up in a Christian home. You are only here by God's grace. That's it. And His Word was completed for not only the salvation of the spiritual Hebrews, But my friends, His Word is being completed right now in your life as a saved person, as He sustains you, as He sanctifies you, as you walk with Him. My friend, His Word is alive and well. And the more that you embrace that in your life, the more that you embrace the fact that God is alive and He chose you for His purpose and He's using you for His purpose, the more that you grab hold of that, the more joy and peace and contentment that you'll have as a child of the Sovereign King. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we just thank You for Your Word and we thank You that it's always right, it's always reliable. We thank You for this wonderful example here that we find in Romans 9. I pray, Lord, that we would just look at our own life and recognize that if we have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we recognize that you're at work right now. 
in our life, that there's a purpose on why you chose us. And it's your purpose. It's not our purpose. And it's just not salvation for heaven. It's salvation for the here and now. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening in on sermon audio that doesn't know you, that's never placed their life in your hands, that they'd ask for forgiveness, that they'd repent of their sins, and they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.